Okay, I'm reading from Ruth 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered the field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging, for, belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till, night, till now, except for the shortest rest in, in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jar the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favour in your eye that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, meal Boaz said to her, come over here. Have bread and dip it into the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So, so Ruth gleamed in the field until evening. Then she thrashed, thrashed the barley and she gathered, had gathered, and, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to the town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out, Ruth also brought out the, and gave her what she had left <laughs> over after she had, she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one of whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is the one of our guardian redeemers. 
Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they have finished harvesting all our grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might get harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley, until the barley and the wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thanks for that, Carla. Um, kids, today there is no Pathway Kids, so you are in church with us the whole time. Aww. Sorry about that. Um, but babysit is open, so if you're here and you have a child up to the age of four or five, there is a babysit facility through the middle here. If you walk through that hall, you'll find it, and feel free to uh, um, take your kids there. Um, for those who are staying in church, I have a challenge for you this morning, and I'll throw it out to you as I just do a bit of stage decorating here. Um, I want you to tell me at the end of this message how many times have I said words. Boaz. Can everyone say Boaz? Boaz. How many times this sermon or message will I have said the word Boaz, and there will be a prize after the person who got it right. So <laughs> you pretty much get the prize. And then I have another question for people in here. Um, in one of my favourite movies. Kung Fu Panda, the first one, there is a character that is a, I think he's a tortoise or a turtle. What is his name? Just yell it out. Anyone know? Uguay, yes. And Uguay says something when in the movie they discover that the dragon warrior that's supposed to be a chosen one that's to make a big defeat is the panda who cannot even sit up straight for all his life. He is the one, the chosen one, and they all doubt him. They say, well, this cannot be, and Uguay says something. He says a key line. What is that key line? No Kung Fu Panda fans? No one else here who watches that movie multiple times a week with their kids? <gasps> Any ideas? Any hands? What's the key line? There are no accidents. Because they all go, this is an accident. This panda cannot be the dragon warrior. You know, if you know the movie, you know how it happened to be. And they all doubt it. And then Uwe just kind of says, there are no accidents. We're in Ruth, the book of Ruth, chapter 2. Last week, just to recap, if you weren't here, I'll do a 30-second recap. In chapter 1, we read of a man whose name was Elimelech, his wife Naomi, two sons, Moel and Killian. They lived in Bethlehem. There was a famine in Bethlehem. They decided to go to a place called Moab. Um, their people weren't really friendly with the people of Moab. More of that today. But in Moab, as they lived there, Tragedy strikes, 
Um, Naomi, who's the key character of last week, loses her husband and both her sons. She decides once the famine in Bethlehem has broken to move back to Bethlehem and one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth, decides that she's going to commit her life to God and to Naomi. God first, Naomi second. Naomi really wrestles in chapter 1 whether God is good to her. She knows that God's all-powerful, but she doesn't think that God really is good to her. And so the chapter finishes where these two women arrive back in Bethlehem and the barley harvest was beginning. Now we get to today. In the first line of what Carla read to us today, we meet the next key character of this entire story. He is a man whose name is Boaz. He's portrayed in the first verse as a man who is upstanding, a godly man, a good man. He's a good bloke, they would have said about him in his day. Uh, a man of valour, honour. And then it flicks is, as we read, that Ruth the Moabite uh, said to her mother, let me go and pick up the leftover grain in the fields. Now, here's what I want to explain to you today. Whoops. I'm going to make it ooh, 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 ooh. a mess today, a real mess, and I'm possibly going to trip over as well, so you're in for a treat. Um, here's how it worked. Ancient wheat fields and barley fields. What happened was, when they were ready and it was time for harvest, the reapers would go in, or the harvesters, they would gather all the wheat uh, into bundles. They'd stack the bundles, and eventually they'd take these bundles to a threshing floor. I'll explain more about that later. But what God said to his people was, as you harvest your fields and you collect all your wheat into these bundles, you are going to miss some of the wheat. The stalks that has the wheat, because it's impossible to gather every single stalk with every single wheat kernel. You're going to miss some. And do not go back over your field a second time to collect all the pieces that you have missed. Leave those pieces for the people who are down and out, those who do not have jobs, those who are unemployed, those who have fallen on hard times, that they come through your fields and they pick up these pieces that you have missed so that they can live. We see a beautiful thing here, just as an aside again, of how beautiful God is. God cares for those who are down and out. They are his concern. He makes provision in how he wants his people to live that they will be provided for and not looked over and down and out. And so Ruth says to her mother-in-law, let me go and do this. Let me go and pick up leftover grain. And so she goes out and we read as we carry on that as it turned out. She happened to stumble across the field of Boaz. We're meant to wonder at this stage in the story, is this an accident? 
did she just so happen by a luck shot to, to stumble across the field of a man who is godly, of a good bloke, someone who takes God seriously, someone who cares, as we shall see. Did this just happen? Was this just by pure luck? And I want you to think about your own life now for a second for me. Does anything in your life happen just by pure luck? Or is there something behind it? Spoke to my neighbour recently. I shared this with leadership the other day. Uh, my neighbour's name's Andy. He's a pizza chef at a restaurant. And he said to me, just in our conversation over the fence, that he loves his job. For the first time in his life, he loves his job. I said, well, that's really great, mate. Why? He said, well, I like my boss. And then he says, and you know what? He's a religious man. And then he blew me over. He said, you know, at my stage of life, I'm starting to reconsider religion from what I see in this bloke. I like him. I respect him. And I stood there thinking to myself, what is God doing in this man's life? It, it just so happens that for the first time in his life, he likes his work because he likes his boss. Boss is a Christian. It just so happened that next door to him moved uh, in some Christians as his neighbours, whom hopefully singing in the shower aside, uh, he actually likes and respects. And wants. Is that luck? Is, is, is something happening here in this man's life that, that, that I need to be in tune to, that he may be in tune to? just so happened that you fell in love with a Christian girl or a Christian boy who's sharing Jesus with you. Young people, it, it just so happened that you were born in a household with mum and or dad who, who holds out to you the message of Jesus who loves you the best and most precious thing that you will ever, ever have in your life. It just so happened. Put it to you that these things have as little to do with luck as the fact that Ruth just so happened to start gleaning in the field of Boaz that day. And the story moves on. Boaz arrives, we see a little bit of his, his godliness in the way that he greets his men, his workers, the Lord bless you, honour the Lord bless you back. And then he asks the question of his, his former overseer of his harvesters, the guy wearing the and he says, who is she? And he says, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. <laughs> She's not, not Naomi's daughter-in-law. She's not Marlon or Killian's wife. She's the Moabite. Like, she does not sit with us during recess. She lives on the other side of the river. She doesn't dress like us. She doesn't talk like us. She doesn't think like us. She doesn't behave like us. She is 
the Moabite. Whether this form and consciously or subconsciously uh, meant to convey this message, one way or the other, he's pretty clear that there's a separation. She's the Moabite, and the rest of us on this cleaning field are not. And Boaz now starts to show us why he is this incredible character in the story. Says to Ruth, listen to me, don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Uh, I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. A few months ago, we learned of shock and horror of the, the raping and murdering of comedian Eurydice Dixon in Melbourne. Reality is that at 3 a.m., as a woman alone in a North Carlton park, she was as vulnerable as Ruth, a Moabite, would be on an Israelite gleaning field in the time of the judges. Her life is in incredible danger. She's at risk. She's an incredibly vulnerable person. And, and, and Boaz, I like to imagine this scene. <laughs> uh, dramatize it in your imagination, please. Uh, a pub scene, if you will, sort of flexes his muscles in front of all the boys. I'd like to do that, but I don't have any, so it doesn't work. Flexes his muscles in front of all the boys, and he looks them in the eye, and he says, if any one of you dare to lay a hand on her, you'll have to do with me. It's an incredible scene. What he does, how he puts himself out there, and, and, and we, again, like at so many points in this story, have to ask our question, why do this? Why would this man at this point do this incredible thing in the eyes of all who are there? And I think it comes out in what he says to her next. In particular, there's one line that reveals his motives to us clearly. It says to Ruth in the end there, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You have come to take refuge. You know, as a show here, church, he's showing to us the heart of God. The heart of God to anyone who's willing to seek his refuge. He's saying, in, in, in full view of, of all those present in those on that threshing field, he's saying abundantly clear, clearly. I don't care that she is a Moabite. I don't care about the differences that our parents had with her parents. I don't care about some of the religion. Quite a bit. I'm not going to. Full on that harvest and say, she shouldn't be us unless she fulfills a certain set of religious criteria to be living and gleaning and working among us, Boaz says, you know what, I don't care. I care about one and one thing only. She wants to take refuge under the wings of God. She seeks God. <laughs> you know, church, I want to I ask to learn two things from this today. 
Now, the first comes from a recent conversation that, that I've had with someone who I believe is in the process of becoming a Christian. And our conversation went into the place of where we talked about what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to become a Christian, to, be, to become one of us, a non-Moabite? What does it mean? What do you have to do? How's that? We need to press another button. Oh, look. I thought to myself, how incredibly have we uh, stuffed up the message that we're meant, as a church, that is, we, to those who do not know God. What does it mean to be one of us? I have to do to to me. It's not true, is it? What do you need to do to become a Christian? God, I want to know you. (laughs) Seek you. I seek your freedom. I seek your fullness. I seek your forgiveness. I seek it thing that everything else in my life does not give me. I see you. I, I want I want Boaz in this story is in that he, he, he shows that to us. He recognizes the field that she's got. The only thing that God's looking for seeking him. Wanting him. Looking for him. That's the first we get out of this. How are we going there? Turning off? Yep, got it. Second thing we can learn from this is, quite frankly, why I think a ministry like Eastern Shores Ministries is critical. This is why it's critical that Dana and I Invite Andy and Narelle, our neighbours, over for a barbecue because God just so happened to let them glean in our field. This is why it's critical that you and I think and pray and consider who has God put in our fields that just so happened to be there and who may just seek him, that we make time, that, uh, that, we, that we pray, that we put in effort with those whom God just so happened to bring our way. And God is seeking to create an incredibly beautiful community that he calls church. And we in that community are to be like Boaz. Bring them in, welcome them in, and put out the right message. But in fact, Boaz shows us more than just that. story moves on. We read that... I'm not going to read it all. I'll just leave it up there. 
Boaz shows Ruth increasing hospitality, generosity. At mealtime, he says, come and have a meal with us. He offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. Then, later on, he says to the harvesters, get this, it doesn't sound strange to us, but to them, this would have been insane. They would have never seen anything like this. He says to these harvesters, not only don't touch her as she gleans and picks up the little stalks, let her pick up the stalks that you have dropped, not behind you, among you. In fact, as you tie up the bundles, pull out some of the stalks and drop it on the floor for her to pick up. And I don't know what they would have done, but I, I, I bet you that they would have been shocked at this. <laughs> no one did this. <laughs> this. This wasn't done. This lavish generosity, and again, we, we sort of have to ask, why does he do that? What can we learn from it? I think here's what we can learn. We can learn the difference from this man between dead religion and a living faith that understands the heart of God. Dead religion would have caused Boaz to say at the end of the working day, today I've checked the boxes what my religion wanted me to do. I was kind to this Moabite. I allowed her to pick up leftover grain to glean as the law prescribes it. I've checked the boxes. Living faith, however, makes him do something totally different. (laughs) He, He understands that behind the rules, behind the laws, behind the customs, there is a spirit and a desire of God's, and it's this. It's God's desire for the complete well-being of those who come to seek refuge in Him. Dead religion creates a witness that says to others, if you want to be a Christian, do to others what you have them do to you. Living faith creates a witness that says to others, you know what, I found shelter under the wings of the Almighty And he can shelter you too. In fact, I will extend his shelter over you through my means. Come. Living faith, dead religion. Story for today is nearing conclusion. Ruth goes home, shares all this with Naomi. Then we read this from Naomi. The translation in your Bible doesn't serve you really well, so I'm giving you another one in that slide. This is what Naomi says. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, if you were here last week, this should confound you. (laughs) This is the woman (laughs) who only, only last week said... God hates me. God has murdered my sons, my husband. God is bad news. (laughs) And we kind of go, what's happening here? What is the change? How does this woman move from this extreme place of bitterness to saying something like this? Lord God, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Well, simply this. We're seeing something beautiful happening here. We're seeing... Naomi is starting to understand something else about God. During the week, Dana and I drove to Alverston 
for, um, for a meeting, and it was about 6 o'clock, or 7 o'clock really, uh, and as we looked into the west, we saw the sun, well, sunlight, just the last bit of sunlight left over at 7 o'clock. And we looked to each other and we said, oh, it's coming. <laughs> Summer's coming. <laughs> it's, it's on its way. It's not here yet. We've got a lot of this winter to endure still, but, but it's coming and we're excited. We look forward to it. I believe that Naomi is in a place in this story where she now sees it just so happened that Ruth stumbled across the field of Boaz. Summer is slowly starting to come to life for her in the story. We notice the change and I want to encourage you, if you're in Naomi's place, if you're suffering, if it's dark, if you don't see hope, I pray that God would put some of these moments in your life where you can see you know what, it's not really different, but I can see the sunlight in the distance and I know that summer's coming. May God move you quickly out of the dark place into the place where you can see it, where it's there. Like Naomi, may the light start to break through. 23 litres is what an ephah of wheat is. That's enough to sustain these two women to live for a week. So they're not out of the woods yet. They have a lot of ground to cover for uh, the full redemption to break through. But we are going to cover those in next week and the weeks beyond. For today, let me wrap up this with these words. Like last week, I gave you some take-homes just to summarise, and I'll do the same this morning. First thing we meant to get, there are no accidents in your life. You know what your greatest comfort is in all of life, according to the Heidelberg Catechism? You're not your own. You belong, body and soul, to your faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ. You're in His hands. Your life is in His hands. Nothing is going to come at you by accident. Be comforted by that. We read that Ruth just so happened to come across the field of Boaz. You just so happened to be here today. And it's going to just so happen that I'm going to invite you soon to participate in the Lord's Supper. I'm going to just so happen to invite you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never sought Him, seek Him today. Ask Him today to come into your life. It may be just so happened that the best thing you've ever discovered happens today. Thirdly, may we be faithful like Boaz. Let us look out for those whom God has placed in our fields who may be seeking God. And lastly, for those who are in Naomi's dark place of life, please look out for the glimmerings of hope. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this incredibly powerful story. Lord, we pray that you'd send us many Moabites and let us be like Boaz to them. Put your heart in us. Reflect yourself in us. Giving us a great desire to welcome in those who seek you, who wants to come under your refuge. Father, I pray 
And I thank you for the hope, the glimmerings of hope you may have placed in this last week in the lives of those who suffer. I ask that you'd put more there. Give them great confidence and courage to face the hardship that still remains ahead. Thank you that you're the great God who's in control of everything in our lives. Father, rather than being scared or daunted or confused by it, let us relish in it and say, thank you. Thank you that my life is sound, secure, safe, because it's not in my hands, but in your hands. You are all-powerful, all-loving, and all-good. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.